again today. Thank you, Tim, and the worship team for leading us in worship again today. Before I, be, before I begin um, in my in message, I want to say thank you to you as a church for your generosity and for your kindness. It's totally overwhelming um, to be on, a recipient of such kindness that you showed us. So a huge thank you. And I'd want to brag on our life group a little bit. Um, no, and publicly thank our life group. Our life group put together a basket specifically for our children and blessing each of our children in just walking with us in ministry here at church. Specific gifts for each of the children, um, and it made them feel like a million bucks, I tell you what. They felt really, really special. So thank you, everyone in our life group. And that was everyone, all the life groups. Thank you. We just saw signatures from our life group. It was everyone. All right, so I guess I can't brag on our life group. <laughs> Thank you, Don. Okay. But anyway, for what you guys did for our children, that meant a lot, just so you know. So whoever that was, thank you. So we've been talking the last three weeks. This will be the fourth um, sermons focused leading up to our, our ordination here. And it's been really good for me, and I've enjoyed it. It's been convicting. Um, it's been sobering. It's been exciting. It's, it's been all of those things for me, I think. Um, but it's been really good. And I want to I take us back to last week, because it, it ties in a little bit with what I want to share today. Last week, Marcus talked about the calling. And one of the things that Marcus talked about last week was the fact that every single person here has a calling in life. It's not reserved for a few. And sometimes I think we as Christians, we, we get this idea that we'll just keep doing what we're doing until we figure out what God's call is for our life. And I'm here to tell you that whatever you are doing right now, that is your call. And that is your ministry. Every person here, I believe, is in full-time ministry. Whether you're hanging gutter, whether you're remodeling houses, selling books, hauling people, driving people, you are in full-time ministry. And I, I want you to feel that and understand that because I think we make a big mistake. And, and, and I'm thinking specifically when we, we talk about ordaining someone is that now someone has a calling because they've been ordained or the church has called them to serve in the pastoral. That is, I think, the calling that God has on our lives and the ministry that God has for each one of us, I think as we go through life, they continue to just unfold. As we grow, as we mature, we, God brings us into new areas of life and, those, and that calling on our life is something that continues to unfold. And in a couple of weeks, Lord willing, someone's ministry or calling is going to continue to unfold into part of the ministry team here at church. So it's, it's, a, it's a good thing and it's an exciting thing um, for us as a church and for us as individuals as well. <clears throat> so some, here, here's, this is just another thing that I think about a lot, when, and we've heard what we've talked about, 
we often talk about the weight that goes with pastoring, um, and I think that's right. It's a, this is, a, in some ways, it's a very sobering time for a church, and it's, and it's good because it, it helps us to, to really dig into our own hearts and to really think deeply about what's going on in our own hearts. But at the same time, I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that serving pastoring is an opportunity and it's a joy. And I really, really mean that. Um, to serve here at Providence and in ministry in general is an absolute joy. And I want to give you an example um, from my own life and why I think it's so important that we, we hear that. So soon after, I remember what I felt when we were first licensed to pastor at Providence. And I remember as we were at the front, as the pastors and other people were praying over us, I remember there was just this big conglomeration of feelings, things you felt. You felt a lot of weight. You felt overwhelmed in some ways. But there was also a deep sense of peace and joy that went with it. Because whenever, wherever you are at and wherever each one of us is, us is at, if we are walking and fulfilling the ministry and the calling that God has on our lives, we find a sense of peace and a sense of joy in what we're doing because we are serving for someone greater than just the thing that we're doing. Or the, It's not a position. We're serving our King in doing it. But it didn't, it didn't take long. In some conversations that I had with some people after that, it made you feel like your life is over. It's like, seriously? It was, I mean, it was discouraging. I mean, just some of, the, some of the things that people said is like, it's, it's going to be so hard and all that. Yeah, it can be hard. It's hard. It's good. And yet, then you, you talk to other people and it's like, you, you just come away with life and joy in the opportunity. And so I simply want to hear, because whoever God is calling to this role of ministry, let me just say it that way, I want you to hear that there is peace and there is joy in it. I don't want you to walk away and hear some discouraging remarks about this is so heavy and it's just, it's joyful. It's a wonderful experience. And I heard, told you Wednesday night, my text is 1 Peter chapter 5, so I don't know if anyone had a chance to turn to there, but I'd invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, because this has been um, such a special text to me personally, and this is where I often find myself coming back to, because it helps me recenter what my motives are in my serving, but it also helps me recenter my attitude in serving, because Peter talks here about our motive and our attitude in shepherding, particularly is what Peter calls it here in First Peter chapter five. So I'm going to read in First Peter five the first five verses. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, 
you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We're just going to stop right there for today. What is, what should your motive be, and what should your attitude be as you think about shepherding? And when I talk about shepherding, um, shepherding, I see that the same as ministry. Everyone here is shepherding someone. You are shepherding the people in your home. You're shepherding the people that you work with. It's your sphere of influence. And we'll talk a little bit more about shepherding um, on the second point then, um, specifically about shepherding. But three things that I want us to think about today when we, as we think about shepherding. And I get these um, from 1 Peter chapter 5 here. And then we're also going to look at John 21 a little bit, um, a little bit later here. The first thing that I see here about someone who is shepherding is a shepherd identifies with his sheep. A shepherd identified, identifies with his sheep. And he does this happens on a lot of different levels. Um, but this is something that I had not noticed before that, that kind of struck me as I was studying this text. In the first verse, Peter calls himself a fellow elder, and he says he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So what are the sufferings of Christ that Peter is talking about here? He's talking about the crucifixion, and that he was there to witness the crucifixion. But what did Peter do at the crucifixion when Jesus was crucified? That's when he totally blew it. He totally blew it. He denied Jesus three times. And so I think there's a sense, and I hope I'm not reading into it too much, but I think there's a sense here that Peter is saying in his, that he's a witness of the, his suffering, that he's acknowledging that he is in equal need of the grace of God as everyone else, and that includes, yeah, every single person. And that goes for us as shepherds as well, us as, as pastors there's, a, there's an acknowledgement, and that's something that I've been made so aware of, is my own brokenness, and that there's not one of us standing here today who's not in equal need of God's grace. It doesn't matter what your role of ministry is. So I think there's a, there's, Peter is acknowledging his own brokenness, but I also think that Peter wants to take us on a journey. As you, go, as you keep going with this text, there's a journey that Peter takes us on um, and the same journey that God takes us on. I love thinking and studying about how Jesus led the disciples from the time that he called them until the time that he ascended back into heaven and the, the things that happened in between. And we, we see about, we see Peter and his life now. We know how Peter's life ended and all of that, but all of that in between that time when Jesus was with them, all the growth that happened, all the mistakes that were made, is a journey that Peter was on, and it's a journey that God takes on each one of us. So if you'd read through the Gospels, it seems like Peter messed up probably more than anyone else. 
I just see it over and over and over again. But I see Jesus coming alongside Peter over and over again, producing something really deep and powerful in his life. Think about the time Jesus is taking, takes Peter from the time that he rebuked Jesus. Remember when he rebuked Jesus for talking about going to the cross, for talking about suffering? He was like, no way, that's not going to happen. You're, you're the Messiah. That's not going to happen to you. Let's take some kind of nerve. But Peter goes from that to at the end of his life, he asks to be crucified upside down because he's not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus is. <clears throat> so Peter, as a witness to his suffering, is, is acknowledging and identifying with each of us his own need for God's grace because of his own brokenness. But then he's also taking us on this journey where we're moving from being the guy who rebukes Jesus to someone who's completely sold out. And that's a lifelong journey that he takes us on. Um, so go down to verse, verse 2. And that's verse 2 is where we're going to hang out most of the time here. Peter writes in verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Do you ever ask yourself the question, why is Peter, a fisherman, talking about shepherding? Is there something that happened to Peter that maybe triggered something about shepherding that you can think of? I invite you to, you can turn if you want to John 21. I'm not going to read the whole text, but this is, this is a part of that journey I think that Jesus is taking Peter on. And something that happened in John 21 clicked with Peter. We'll come back to it again later as well. But something happened in Peter's life here in John 21. This is after the resurrection, just before the ascension. One of the last things that Jesus says to Peter, it's the times when Jesus asks Peter three different times, do you love me? And by the end, Peter was almost offended by it. But it's Jesus restoring Peter, in spite of his brokenness, restoring Peter and redeeming the brokenness that Peter is. But I want to at least point out, there's three different times when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I do. The first time, Jesus said, feed my lambs. Because each one of these times when Jesus responds to Peter it's a little bit different. The response is a little bit different. Feed my lambs. And this is another, this is where I think Peter is also saying, I identify, we identify with um, our, the sheep. The shepherd identifies with the sheep. Feed my lambs is talking about caring for and nurturing and providing spiritual food, if you will, for the young, the immature, the vulnerable among you. The second time Jesus asked Peter that, then Jesus tells him, tend my sheep. It's that whole aspect of caring for, leading, guiding, protecting. Just the whole, it kind of encompasses the, the shepherding thing, bringing guidance. And he says it's to the sheep, not only to the lambs, to the young, but to the sheep. And then the third time Jesus says, feed my sheep. It's, it's this overarching 
thing of, of caring for the way the shepherd provides for a flock of sheep with everything he has from providing nourishment to protection to safety and, and all of the above. And so Peter, I think, wants us to recognize that it is a journey that we're on and just as Jesus came here in John 21 and restored Peter, he comes and restores each one of us. Sometimes when we blow it, we feel like it's, it's over, we're done, God can't even use us anymore. And I think the picture is, yes, he can and he will. Because we look at Peter's life and how it continues to grow. So a shepherd identifies with his sheep. Secondly, I would say, a shepherd identi- or leads selflessly. And this is where I come back to that idea where our motive and our attitude in shepherding. Verse 2, again, he says, in verse 2, he said, we should lead willingly and eagerly. Willingly and eagerly. Do you ever have your, give your kids something to do or tell them a chore, go give them a chore, and you get some, a little bit of grinding or groaning about it. It's like, do I have to? And I can really annoy my children when I say, no, you get to. You get to do it, right? But when you, when you, when you get to do it, that means you don't have to do it. When you have to do something, it becomes a drag. And I think God wants us to shepherd the people in our lives willingly and eagerly. We get to do it. It's simply driving home that point that what we do, the ministry that God calls us to, is a privilege and it's an opportunity. It's not something that, is some, that will suck the life out of us, but it's something that is actually becomes life-giving when we are walking in the calling and the ministry that God has on our lives. Shepherds lead enthusiastically and they give freely. A shepherd leads selflessly by leading with humility. Verse 3, it says, you don't domineer, not domineering over those in your charge. And I think it, this might seem really simplistic, but one of the, and, it, and I guess it ties back in with identifying with your sheep, but I think one of the greatest ways that we lead selflessly and with humility is simply to be with our sheep with the sheep, identifying with where they're at in life from the youngest, the most vulnerable, to the strongest, and, this, um, and the, yeah, among us. <clears throat> when, when a shepherd is with his sheep, it provides security, it provides safety for the flock. Um, so we recently got some sheep, and I'm absolutely loving it. I... I I think I told someone this morning, I think I could probably preach a whole series about what I've learned from our sheep already. I used to talk down on sheep. Like, I used to say that sheep are really, really dumb. They're not. They're actually not dumb. And I think Jesus often, Scripture often refers to us as sheep. And I don't think Jesus is telling us that we're dumb. But if, if we would recognize the strength that sheep have, 
and we would become more like sheep, we would be much, much stronger. And I, I can't, I can't, I could just go on and on with what, with some of that. But one of the things that I learned is that a sheep will not go where the shepherd doesn't go. I learned that really, really quickly. So we had just gotten our sheep, and I had just gave them a little bit of a pasture um, so they could kind of learn the boundaries, get used to our place, get used to me. And I kept them in there for like a week and a half, and I'd go in every day, and I'd feed them. I'd talk to them. Yeah, I'd talk to animals. Um, but then I opened up so they could go out. They had like two acres where they could go out and just explore all kinds of grass. And I just opened it up and I went away. And they went to the edge of where that fence had been and they stopped. They would not go any further than that. That's as far as they would go. And it wasn't until I went in with them and I led them through past where that fence was and all the way out to where they were supposed to be that was the, it wasn't until then. And I had to lead them through that the first, I don't know, the first several days. And it was actually really comical. There was a, a little trickle of water in the one spot. I mean, literally two inches wide where water runs through that they had to step over. You would have thought this was a raging river and something was going to come shooting up out of there and kill every one of them. They would go right up to that and they would not go over it. But I had to sit there with them and just slowly coax them over. And once the first one went, then they all came. But to come back in, same thing. I'd have to go get them and lead them through it. So a sheep will not go where a shepherd is not first willing to go. And that is an example of leading with humility. But something happens when we shepherd the people in our care with humility it becomes contagious. It becomes something that everyone begins to live. That's why I wanted to include verse 5, because verse 5 ends with, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. But the people that you are leading, don't expect them to live in humility with each other if you're not willing to live and model that humility first with your own life. And lastly, a shepherd always stays focused on the chief shepherd. Verse 4 begins, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Identifying with the sheep, leading them selflessly, and leading with humility is only made possible when the focus is on the chief shepherd. A shepherd will only lead when he remembers that he is first, or can only lead effectively when he remembers that he is first a sheep as well and a follower. Every one of us here, I said at the beginning, is a shepherd. You're leading someone. You're leading and influencing someone in your life. But every one of us here is also first a sheep. We're a part of God's flock. And that is something that unites us together and we all are followers of the chief shepherd. <clears throat> so what happens when I talked about joy, the joy of serving, the joy of ministry? What happens when our focus is taken off of the chief, chief shepherd? That joy begins to evaporate, and it evaporates quickly, 
really, really quickly. It becomes, we start doing what Peter says, instead of willingly and eagerly, we start leading under compulsion that we absolutely have to do this. It becomes a drag and a drudgery. And it also becomes something that we think we should get something from. I've done this, then you owe this to me. This is something that is so easy for me to fall into. I love serving. But if my focus is not on Jesus, then I begin to serve with an expectation that I'm going to get something back. And when that happens and it is no longer serving, serving is out the door at that point because it is about self really, really quickly. So my focus must be on the chief shepherd. And when it is removed... It's the joy that I find in serving. The joy that we find in our ministry evaporates quickly. Now, quick, we'll refer us back to John 21 again. Another thing that will suck the joy out of your ministry in a flash is comparison. Pastors are really good at this, in case you don't know. You look at someone else's giftings, their abilities, someone else's church, and you begin to compare, and you you start feeling all these insecurities start coming up. But this is something else that I think Peter learned along with his, um, his being restored to ministry with feeding the sheep. Jesus ends verse 19 with telling Peter, follow me. But then Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this guy? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain with me, I'm sorry, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Something clicked in Peter here, I think, where he, he was all of a sudden he was concerned about what this guy was going to do, what this person over here and that guy over there, what they were going to do and what they're doing, what's working over there. And Jesus simply turns him back and says, don't worry about that. He says, you follow me. And so a shepherd always keeps his focus on the chief shepherd. When the focus drifts off of the chief, chief shepherd, it turns inward really, really quickly, and we become self-centered and selfish in everything that we do. And then the last, um, the last verse there, or the end of verse 3, I wanted to touch on, he said, not with domineering over those in your charge. When our focus is on the chief shepherd, we also remember that it is, is not my flock. This is not this church, Providence, is not my flock. It's not Marcus's flock. Your family is not necessarily your flock. Your area of ministry, those people ultimately are God's flock. He says in verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of, of God that is among you. And then not domineering over those in your charge. The, the King James actually says, instead of those in your charge, it says God's heritage the people that you are called to shepherd in your life are God's heritage and they are ultimately His and not yours. But when, when we lose the focus on the chief shepherd, we begin to relish authority and to seek power 
and we see our ministry as a position and something to gain rather than something to give. So this morning, I want you to at least remember that joy is found when each one of us is walking in the calling and the ministry that God has called us to. Whatever that is, every one of you, I said, is in full-time ministry. And when we walk in that, we find joy. So conclusion, remember this, you are a sheep. Every one of you, every one of us, sheep are dependent on one another. That's something else I've learned. They, they are dependent on each other. I brought in sheep from two different farms. We all come from different walks of life. But I brought them in and they became one flock instantly because there was a common denominator that was the shepherd. God brings us in from all areas of life. We're all sheep from God, from different walks of life, different areas. But he's brought us together into one flock here at Providence. So each of one of us is a sheep, but each one of us is also a shepherd. Each one of us has a ministry. As you shepherd the people in your sphere of influence, identify with those people. We call it empathy. Walk in their shoes Understand what life is like for them. It goes a long way in your ministry. Shepherd them selflessly the way Jesus did. John 10 talks about Jesus, he calls himself the good shepherd, and he says he lays down his life for them. Selfless. And then always stay focused on your shepherd. Never, never lose sight of that. Because that's where our joy is found. Our joy is found in serving a purpose bigger than than even right here. It's serving our King. So bless you guys as we go into this next week. Marcus is going to come up and close talking about um, a week of prayer. We want to um, fast and pray this week. And as you do that, and as we think about someone, their calling unfolding into a new area of ministry. Let's, Let's look at it Yes, it's serious and it's heavy and there, there's a lot of weight to it, but it is an opportunity and it is something that is filled with joy. So bless you guys in that. Marcus, I'm just going to turn it over to you.